listening to a Kink in the Chain podcast. Welcome to the Kink in the Chain podcast. I'm your host, Rope Squirrel. Sadly, Ritzia and Alpine Lynx could not be here today, but it's just a scheduling thing. They're both off somewhere. I think one of them is in Las Vegas, the other's in Atlanta. So I guess have fun, you two, while I do all the work. <laughs> but today I've got a really special show for you. I've got Celine Remy and Kevin Anthony, and they are the hosts of a podcast called the Love Lab Podcast. Celine and Kevin Anthony are an international husband and wife team who decided to join forces and create a worldwide movement of true sexual empowerment. Kevin, the truth warrior, is a men's coach and tantra counselor. Celine, the intimacy angel, is a holistic sexologist, certified sexological body worker, relationship and intimacy coach for men, women, and couples. Together, they are truly the power couple. They host the Love Lab podcast and are co-creators of the Sexual Power and Mastery, an online educational training system that teaches the exact process to any man who wishes to bring his A-game consistently to the bedroom. They guide couples and men on how to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. How are you two doing today? We are doing fine, or at least I am doing fine. Can't talk for Kevin. <laughs> I am doing fine as well. We're happy to be here. It is a wonderful pleasure to have you, and and a, I, I was very glad that you said yes to uh, being on the show, so thank you very much for being here. You're welcome. So let's, uh, let's find out a little bit more about you two. How did the two of you actually meet? <laughs> Well, since we are on the kink in the chain, we assume that we can go all in and tell you the real truth behind our meeting, right? All the dirty <laughs> secrets, yes. The dirty secrets, yes. We actually met at a sex party. So uh, we both attended this sex party and Kevin was there before me and I walked in and I saw him sitting at that low table and I was like, ooh what a gorgeous man who is this guy you know and I thought oh I hope he's in an open relationship because I was in an open relationship at that time and I thought oh that would be lovely <laughs> and so that's how we met <laughs> yeah that that's pretty much it I mean I remember turning around I remember hearing you come through the door and turning around and seeing you and going oh who is that and why don't I know her you were somewhat new to the scene at the time so it was love at first sight, kind of, I guess. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it was love at first sight. It was attraction at first sight, at least for me, because we were both in other relationships at that time. And the timing was never right. We tried to uh, date each other, but the partners we were with, it was not happening. So we cultivated a friendship for several years before we finally got to be able to act on that attraction mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you two are obviously you you counsel a lot of couples you try you uh, help them in their relationships and that kind of thing what has your been your biggest challenge in helping people with their relationships 
Well, there's a couple, you know, one of our biggest challenges really is getting people to see the value of taking the time to really work on their relationship. So it's always amazing to us that, you know, people have no problem spending a ton of money on buying a new big screen TV or buying the new car or, you know, going out and doing their entertainment kind of stuff. And then they go, well, yeah, I know, but your program and this, and it's a lot of time and it's a lot of work and it's an investment. And it's like, and yet they're telling us in that moment that they're miserable, that the relationship isn't working, that they so badly want change, but yet they're not necessarily making it a priority. So that's one of the big things that we see is getting people to understand that they really need to make it a priority, especially if they really want to have a happy life. Absolutely. And also to understand that another challenge is when only one of the partners is on board and not the other one. And for some couples, they're thinking, well, then if my partner is not going to do it, I'm not going to do anything different. But you don't need your partner in order to uh, start being different. Because if you start to act differently in your relationship, you are going to show up differently. And in turns, your partner will most likely react differently. So it's seeing that it doesn't matter whether or not your partner's on board, there's no more like excuses and being willing to take that scary step that things might be different. And that's also some of the challenge is that while we do our best to always support people in relationship to stay together, sometimes doing something different can make a relationship transition or shift. And sometimes that's the scary part because people know that they'd rather stay in what's comfortable because it feels safe to be in the comfort of what they know rather than jump into the unknown of some potential that could be so much better. So your biggest challenge then is basically getting people just to do the program and, and actually want to work on their relationships, basically. Would that be a fair statement? It would be a fair statement or just like to prioritize it, you know, because even sometimes they, they do the program, but then they keep coming up with with excuses of like, well, we couldn't do this because, you know, we couldn't do the date night because we had this that came up. Oh, well, this couldn't happen because of that. So it's kind of the excuses. Yeah, and you know, there's, there's an endless number of excuses that will come up anytime you do deep work. But in our experience, we've never worked with anybody that hasn't seen at least some shift. And that's the thing is, you know, there's different things that'll come up when working with different people. Some are bigger, some are not, but I wouldn't necessarily say any one of them really stands out as being, this is the thing that we see over and over and over again. We see a lot of different things, but everybody makes at least some shift. And that's the thing is getting them to actually focus on it is really the big hurdle because once they do focus on it, once they make the commitment to work on themselves and their relationship, they almost always make a significant shift. So maybe if we were to sum it up, the biggest hurdle is to get to get people uh, to get out of their own way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would really be it, mm -hmm. realistically, because it doesn't matter whatever excuse it is. It's just like they stay in their own way. They come up with, "I want to change," but when it comes time to to have to change, they go like, "Well, these are my excuses of why I don't want to change." Oh, okay. So. Out of all the relationships that you've helped, what has been your biggest success story that you've done? 
All right. So I'm pretty excited about several of the stories. Um, one of them was so fascinating. I work with a man uh, who was in a relationship, but I just worked with him in particular. And after working together, he ended up quitting his job and um, starting his own practice. He was so inspired and on fire and everything that he basically transformed his life. So while a person comes from the angle of sexuality or relationship, what you see is when you make a shift and a change, it has ripples effect in so many different areas of your life. And he built so much more confidence that he felt that he could no longer live the life that he knew that it was not living up to his potential. And he was like, I've got to like have my own practice and act differently. I've had different things with clients uh, stop like different addictions, like drinking. And I'm in no way somebody who specializes in any of those things, but it was just a side effect that because of the newfound connection, because at the root of many addictions, it's a lack of connection. And because of the practices of what we were doing together, he created new connection, not just with himself, but with other people in his life. And he no longer felt the need to, to use an outside substance to help him feel better. Um, I was going to say like a lot of different things. We have couples who uh, find ways to be intimate again, who after many years, you know, of like having very little happening in the bedroom area, they start to find ways to have sex or they have orgasms or yeah. like take it to the next level and experience pleasure. <laughs> I, I always love it, you know, because we've had, we've had quite a few of these where, where the couple is like, we haven't had sex in three years. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, okay, that's, that's a big thing. You know, it's one thing to say it's been a few months, or we've been going through a challenging time. But when a couple has habitually for years not connected that way, and then they come and work with you, and they start reconnecting sexually again, and actually enjoying it, not just because they're going through the motions, because we told them that's what they're supposed <laughs> to do, but they're actually enjoying it. I, I always find that amazing and a huge success. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed an increase in the challenges with like, for example, I know we're at the tail end of this, but the pandemic and things of that nature, the couples, I guess, forced to be together in some cases where they're not, they're, they're all, they're with each other all the time. Have you noticed any issues there? I would say that for us, it worked in our favor because it forced people, they couldn't put their attention anywhere else. So then they had to call us. They were like, okay, we're stuck, we're together. Now we got to do something. Well, before they could distract themselves by going outside and doing these outside things. Then once they were just at home, they're like, okay, now is the time. And so it actually worked in our favor, I would say, in the sense that people finally started to prioritize relationships and realigning their values. Yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't always that because they were forced to be together, they realized that they weren't getting along and it was emergency mode, like, ah, emergency, we're going to kill each other, we need to get help. It wasn't actually always that. In fact, a lot of what it was, was, wow, I'm spending a lot of time with this person and I'm realizing that, you know, we could do better. Mm -hmm. So they weren't necessarily coming to us from a broken point of view of like, oh my God, it's an emergency. We're about to split up. They were actually coming to us because they were like, you know, we've been spending a lot of time together and we realized there's some some things that, that we could really do better on. Like we could have better intimacy, you know? And, and some of them were actually really enjoying spending time with each other throughout COVID and really just wanted to make it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to say that we 
don't work with, we work with couples who love each other. We don't work with couples who are on the verge of a divorce or are constantly fighting. It's not really the type of couples that we feel the most um, joyful to be working with. We tend to refer them to other people who love this type of energy. We like the couples who love each other, but most of the time they feel like they're more like roommates. Everything's great, but the sex. That tends to be who comes to us. Okay. How do you personally measure a successful relationship? What is the metric that you go all use for that? <laughs> I don't know if we have a metrics because I think it's a very personal answer that varies. But I think, in my opinion, a successful relationship is a relationship where you get to be 100% yourself and where you get to bring out the best in each other. And it will vary depending on who you are with. And it's not so much about you have to have this X amount of sex or this X amount of like dates to make this successful. You just have to be able to be yourself, to be able to communicate freely, openly, honestly, and to just be bringing out the best in each other. Yeah, you know, if I, if I had to pick a metric... I would say happiness. Mm. How happy are you with your relationship? Because the reality is, is for some people, they're not happy unless they're having sex five times a week, or they're not happy unless they've got, you know, two other sexual partners along with their primary partner, or they're not happy if they have some set of circumstances that they've have decided is what makes them happy. But that those things don't apply to everybody. So for instance, you know, one couple might say, Hey, you know, we have sex, three times a month and it really works for us and that fits our lifestyle perfectly. We get along really well. We communicate really well. We uh, love raising the kids together or whatever it is. And that's their idea of a successful, happy relationship. Whereas other people might look at that and go, whoa, man, that would never work for me, right? And so, so what, what I like to say is how satisfied are you really with your relationship? And then you know, I'll often ask men when I coach them, you know, okay, if you could wave a magic wand and you could have your relationship any way that you want, what would it look like, right? And then you take their current reality and you match it up with that, if I could have it any way I wanted and see how close they are. If you're way, way off, well, okay, so it's probably not all that successful of a relationship. But if you're pretty close to that ideal, then it probably is a pretty successful relationship. Hmm. Interesting. So you said you work with couples that are already in love and they're not thinking about divorce. So you're not relationship counselors in that regard, but do you ever, have you ever encountered any relationships where they love each other, but it's just unsalvageable? Yes, absolutely. Um, there was a couple that I worked with, they were actually engaged and through the work we did, they realized that they were trying to make each other fit into a role that wasn't really who they were. And, you know, they didn't stop digging with each other right after working with me. But a few months later, I got an email, by the way, we decided to each go our separate ways. And the work we did with, uh, with you really helped us. And what they were able to do was to transition in a friendly way because they had the tools that they needed. They, they gave it their all and they had no regrets because there was no what if. They 
gave it all and they realized that they weren't each other's perfect match for being a husband and wife. You know, not every relationship is for a whole lifetime. Sometimes it's it's for a reason, right? Or a season. Or a season as they say. <laughs> you know, we we love love and we love people when they are happily in relationship. And so, you know, in our ideal world, we would love to help every couple stay in right relation. But that's not always possible when the two people want massively different things or when they, you have two people in a couple who are just constantly triggering each other's traumas and wounds over and over again. And it's just creating more trauma on top of more trauma. And in some situations, it actually really is best if people don't stay together. So, you know, we don't have a goal. When somebody comes to us, our goal isn't, we're going to make sure you stay together, or we're going to make sure that you part on a friendly terms or anything like that. Our goal is to simply help both people in that relationship understand what it is they really want, what it is they really need, and whether or not their current relationship can meet those needs. And if they can, we help them get there. We help them figure out ways to meet those needs. And if they can't, we help them transition out of it in a way that works well for everybody. Or, or be creative because monogamy is not the only relationship model. So sometimes we help them open up their mind in something else that could be possible because sometimes people do love each other or have created something, have a foundation, have a family or have a business and they want to stay together, but they may not have all of their sexual needs met. And it is possible to have a relationship and get your sexual needs met somewhere else if it's done with integrity so that we can support them with that as well. Very nice. There's a saying in the kink community, we say that we're monogamous, but we're poly play. So the idea, the basic idea is, is that most people fit our boxes like, you know, 80, 90%, but there's that, that one kink, that one activity that your partner doesn't share with you that you need from someone else. Like, for example, my partner, she's, uh, I, well, I don't know your, your kink experience, but she's very much into needle play. She likes jabbing people with needles. I hate it. No, no needles for me. No, no, no. I'm staying away from it. <laughs> But if I deny her that, if I say, well, no, you can't play with anybody but me, this is a huge part of her life that she could never experience again. And so there, and it would be not an ideal situation. I have some kinks that she doesn't share, for example. So we consciously sat down, made the decision that, hey, we're going to go out and find other people to fill these needs, and we're going to come home and be in a loving relationship. It works. We all get our needs met and nobody gets hurt because I, she's not taking anything away from me that I'm going to miss. Have fun with the needles. <laughs> like, like, I'll be here playing my video games or whatever. Just, yeah, have fun. <laughs> Did you have a good time? Great. Okay. <laughs> you so. know, that's, that's one of the things that the kink community does so well and the poly community does really well too, which is they understand that concept and they're pretty good at implementing it. When we tend to work with couples that are not in, say, a kink community or poly community or something like that, just the mere suggestion that they might be able to get their needs met somewhere else is like groundbreaking, sometimes earth shattering, <laughs> and sometimes very difficult. So that's, that's where we can really help them because it's never even entered their mind that this is a possibility. And so navigating them through that, you know, it can be a challenge for them. And that's where we can really help. Sure. 
so I've heard other relationship experts, uh, people like Dan Savage come to mind. I know I've attended a few relationship seminars. Heck, on this show, most of what we do is helping people with relationships. But what sets your respective program apart from all the others? What what makes you all unique? <laughs> well, the first thing is that we we work together. So you get to have both the male and female perspective because most of the time you either have a single guy or a single woman teaching. I mean, not that they're single, but like there's just one person. So one of the things that a lot of people love is that they get to hear, you know, like if we teach something or a technique on how to touch a woman, Kevin might be giving like some of the steps, but then I can be like, okay, here's how it feels for me. Here's what goes on in my head. So they get to have both of that. And that's pretty unique. There are not that many people that we are aware of who teach, um, who are like a husband and wife in a committed relationship and offer that. Yeah. And we, you know, we also kind of, uh, you know, people say like they, they wear their heart on their sleeve and they expose all of that. We wear our relationship on our sleeve, like, <laughs> like all the details of our relationship and our sex life. We talk about it all. We use ourselves as examples. So we're not, we're not putting ourselves up there as we're these, um, these uh, big experts. teacher experts, and we're just going to teach you and you don't know anything about us. I mean, the way we do things really is, you know, here's our experience. Here's what we've gone through. Here's how we do things. And we share that with other people. So without revealing all of your secrets, what is the secret to a happy relationship? <laughs> I would say give more than you take. It's the 60-40 but both partners have to play that game, of course. Um, but if you enter a relationship with the idea of giving more than you take, uh, it will go a long way. And then the secret number two would be appreciation. Because most people focus just on the things that are not working. And this is where the human mind tends to go and is wired about. And so we tend to help people to shift things around and focus on the appreciation. And if you start to shift things and you're like 80% positive, 20% negative, it changes the quality of your life and of your relationship. And what's the secret to your relationships? <laughs> <laughs> well, both of those things. And then I would add to, you know, we work with a lot of people in relationship where they're in relationship, but they're not really 100% in. You know, they're, they're, they're like maybe 75% in, 80% in, but they're always holding back a piece of themselves or they're, they're, they're holding something back or especially if they tend, like maybe they're a newer relationship and they're not actually married, they've been dating for a few years. When you start getting down into the nitty gritty of how they operate in relationship, you realize they're, they're kind of always still looking, like subtly looking on the outside. One of the things that I think that makes a really successful relationship and definitely is part of our success is we are 100% in and committed to the relationship. And you know, you can do that even if you have other partners, but the, the idea behind that is, is that we are a team no matter what, like period. We are a team, no matter what happens, we will figure it out, we will work on it, we will do whatever it takes because we are committed to each other and to being in this relationship. And that's, that's a place where I think a lot of people are actually afraid to go. They're afraid to give that level of 100% in. 
That's very amazing. Sorry, I'm tearing up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So congratulations to the two of you. You seem, well, I, I mean, I know my listeners, you can't see this because we're an audio podcast, but I'm watching them on video and I keep watching every time that he's talking, she's staring at him with love in, in her eyes. It's just amazing. <laughs> I'm just like watching the two of them. They're, they're so cute. <laughs> So now that we've we've determined your credentials and whatnot, um, <laughs> do you are there any events? Uh, I, I know with COVID everything's kind of up in the air, but are there any events that you all would like to promote or anything? Anything happening that you're putting together, even if it's virtual like this? We don't do events, but what we have and that we'd like to invite all your listeners is to check out our Passion Vault, which is our free library with all the goodies we've created over the years. So if you like what we've shared and you want some good sex tip, whether you're men, women, couples, single, we've got stuff in there for you with some of our best secrets to keep your relationship thriving, have hotter sex, deeper intimacy. And so that's available on our website at celineremy.com forward slash vault. And that's the passion vault. And then of course, check out the love lab podcast. If you want to hear more about our sex life and you know, any of the crazy things we like to share on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. So now, my listeners, we have a very interesting article from the Huffington Post, and it's titled, He Cheated on Me, That's When I Realized I Was Polyamorous. And I thought this would be a very interesting article for the two of you, because it basically, when you read it, it basically says that this person was religious when they started, they were cheated on, and suddenly that opened their eyes to a whole new world of possibilities, not with the person that cheated on them, which would have been an interesting twist, I guess, but it ended up being that they were open to more opportunities. But I guess, have, have you ever, two ever counseled a group, a couple that has had this kind of situation that they've suddenly had this rapid transition from one state of one type of relationship to another? Well, I'd say we were in that. Um, I was in a mon I went from being in a monogamous relationship to dating someone else who was like, I'm in an open, I, I like, I'm a poly person. So let's do open relating. And so I had to learn all of this. Uh, and when Kevin and I started dating together, we were a triad. So there was somebody else in the picture before for a few months before we uh, decided to become monogamous. Um, so we've gone through this ourselves and have helped a few people go through that as well. <laughs> Yeah, I would say most of the people that we work with, it's not so much that they had a rapid like, oh my God, you know, thing. Usually what happens is they realize that something's, something's missing in their relationship or their needs aren't getting met and they're seeking some other way to deal with that. And so that's when they go, well, I don't know, you know, my partner's suggesting that maybe we should have an open relationship, but... I'm not so sure about that. And I have no idea what to do with that. And so then they're, they're seeking our help in that particular situation. But I will say, like that article stated, there was a situation that happened that suddenly woke her up and she went, oh, I didn't even realize I like this. I have seen this happen a few times before where 
you know, maybe it's a monogamous couple and they go to a sex party just because they're looking for something different, but they have no intentions whatsoever of actually even playing with anybody else. They just want to observe. They want to just, you know, play with each other. And then they get there and something is like, oh, I had no idea how much I enjoyed this. And that gets them thinking and they're like, hmm, I've seen it quite a few times where, and you know, a lot of times people will assume, oh, it must be the guy he gets in that situation. She's like, oh yeah, <laughs> but no, no, I have seen the women go, wow, I had no idea. They'll say they had no idea that they uh, were interested in potentially having sex with another man. But the other thing is women will come out and go, I had no idea I was attracted to women. Mm. I've introduced a number of people, at least in my social circles and my relationships to the kink lifestyle. And it's very interesting because I've had men and women who've been like, just casually like, all right, what's this thing you do every single Saturday night? I want to come and take a look at it or whatever it is. And they're still there. <laughs> 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 like uh, one person I introduced, she showed up at the club and she basically she walked up to a, a bondage table stripped naked hopped on said do what you want which of course i had to then be like okay um we need to talk about this we need to discuss what it is <laughs> that we're going to do and now she's one of the staff there that has worked there for many many years and makes a point to tell me that uh, every single time like it's your fault i don't have saturday nights anymore like yeah <laughs> Sorry, I, I got you a job. I, now, and she's also an educator now going around in, and teaching classes as well, just like uh, just like I do sometimes. So, you know, I guess it's good, right? You know, it's it, it could be that shock that causes you to completely rethink your entire what you think is acceptable in a relationship, because before that it was missionary, one partner, that's it. And now it's like, oh, a whole new world opened up in front of me. The one thing that's important to realize is whenever you add another person, it magnifies whatever you have. So it's important that you are in a good place in your relationship. It's kind of like, you know, when people are struggling and they're like, we should have a kid is going to make us stay together. That's absolutely <laughs> crazy. So if you are in a relationship where your sex life is not very well, you know, you don't like what you're having. If you don't communicate well, don't think about being poly or swinging or open relating because it's only going to magnify the issues that are already present. It's not a cure-all to your problems. It is not, <laughs> because sometimes that's one of the reasons people are like, well, I'm not having sex, so I want to be poly. And it's like, well, maybe you need to either be a better lover, communicate better, listen, listen better. I mean, there's a lot of things underneath before you want to have sex with other people. And so understand that you don't just get into that uh, poly lifestyle because you have a lack. You should always go in as because you have a lot like an overflow an abundance an abundance exactly because the experience is going to be so much better and a lot of people just like what you describe about the person laying on the table and saying do whatever you wish and you were like oh hold on there are ground rules and and we set up the scene i mean in poly it's the same there's agreements you i mean we we had a we had a contract we had an agreement written down you discuss scenarios before they happen if you want the experience to be uh, pleasurable for all involved you've got to talk out the details before things happen otherwise you just have to do damage control and put like all the time and it's just too draining you're the first couple I've ever heard that did a poly contract. I, I always thought that was a kink 
thing. I've heard of a poly PowerPoint. I heard about that the other day. Somebody made a PowerPoint of the rules, but <laughs> in, yeah, at least in the kink community, while written contracts aren't ridiculously common, I mean, I have used contracts before. So we as humans suck at communicating. And of course, in the kink community, communication consent is a very important thing. In general, it is, even in most relationships. I found that at least in the kink community, like when we actually write out our contracts, and I do use contracts for a handful of things, not for every relationship, but it describes who's going to do what for how many Oreo cookies, and everybody knows exactly what page they're on, until they don't, until you do something that either wasn't, uh, wasn't seen, nobody could have anticipated, and then some of the advice that I give to my listeners is you need to look at the intent of the individual. Was their intent, if somebody is like running around, say, cheating on you or whatever it might be the case, there's some intent there that they don't want you to know. But if something happened that they just weren't expecting, that wasn't, it was a gray area, you know, was there intent to hurt that relationship? Was there intent to to hurt you in some way. And if, if the answer is no, then this is a case of, okay, so now we have a new boundary we need to make or a new, we need to tweak this rule a little bit. I, I mean, I, I said you could do knife play, but blood play was a completely different story, but that just happened because you cut them and you started playing with their blood and, and I wasn't expecting that. Or some things, things happen. And so that's the case where it becomes a starting point for a communication rather than a point to end a relationship. It's like, let's discuss this. Let's, Let's find out how we can make our relationship keep going, even if we have to make new boundaries so that we can keep this relationship functioning. Yeah, they're, they're living documents, right? So you don't <laughs> just make the rules at the beginning and then you are bound by them for eternity. <laughs> they're literally living documents. And I, I can say that at least here in, in Southern California, where we live in the communities that we traveled, having written agreements is actually somewhat common. And they'll vary. I mean, they've they've been like, you know, six bullet points up to literally six pages. Like we've had some friends who had like literally six to 10 pages of written agreements. And I'll tell you a funny story from my own personal experience. I knew this is before Selena and I were together. I knew that a lot of our friends did have written agreements. And I was with a partner at the time and we were in an open relationship and we did not take the time to write it down. We discussed them, but we didn't actually write it down. But, you know, being the fact that we had the discussion and these were things that we did talk about, you know, I was like, okay, well, it's, we're in agreement that we have certain rules. So we're in the car and we're driving to a three-day uh, poly weekend where we're going to be with about 100 other people in a hotel that we've taken over for the entire weekend. And we have uh, a, a friend of ours who's also a, a teacher in the community uh, in the backseat. And she says, just making chit chat in the car. So what are your guys' agreements for the weekend? And my partner goes, oh, we don't have any agreements. I'm driving the car. I almost swerved out of my lane. I'm like, what are you talking about? We don't have any agreements. And I'm like, we have this agreement. We have this. And I, I rattled off about six different things that were agreements that we had talked about prior. And that's when I had that big wake-up call. I went, oh, yeah, all those friends of mine that wrote their agreements down, they weren't just being anal. <laughs> It, it actually was a good idea. <laughs> and that's when you reach out to me and you're like, hey, Celine, can you guys share your agreements? Uh -huh. And I sent over our documents so you guys could use it as a template to start yours. Exactly. Yeah. 
exactly. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Absolutely. And also in terms of like the changing of the agreements, when in my previous relationship, when we had a long, really long agreements, and what I've noticed is we were together for five years. As years went by, it actually got smaller. Because I think sometimes at the beginning, you need more reassurance, you need more kind of like boundaries and, and guidelines to help you feel so safe and good about the relationship. And after a while, you're like, you've showed up, you've respected the agreements, you're like, yeah, I don't need all of these safeguards, I feel good. And then we can take some of the things out of the agreements per se, because you know that they are uh, taken care of. So it is really a living, breathing entity, just like your relationship is. And I, I have a funny story from a master-slave couple here. They they recently got married, so I'm very happy with them. They're actually a, a lesbian couple, so I'm very excited for them that they're starting that phase in their relationship. But they sat down. They made a living document. Now, first and foremost, I should say the slave is usually very well-behaved. She doesn't break any rules. She, it's not, not, she's not like a brat or anything like that. But they made it a point that every year on their anniversary, they look at their contract and they review it and go through it and take the things out that aren't working and add new things that they need to. I sat down with them once because I wanted to look at the contract. And throughout the contract, it specifically states, the slave will be punished if they don't do this or if they do this. Or However, I started scanning the document and going, okay, it says they're going to be punished. It does not say anywhere in this document what that punishment is. And they both got like, bright-eyed like oh my god and they immediately started scribbling like oh god okay so if you do this this is the punishment because consent so it's like if if you it's like you will be punished they use a joke of i'm going to punish you and i'm not going to tell you what the punishment is <laughs> no you can't do that that's assault <laughs> you have to consent to whatever is going to be happening so it's a funny story just because I just love their their eyes. It's like, oh my God, we completely forgot that step. Like we 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 thought about everything, but we didn't think about what the punishment was going to be. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, even even the best of us kinksters forget a few things here and there. Uh, <laughs> well, I just found this article to be really interesting, just as a jumping off point for people who might be locked into one particular thing, whether that be societal, whether that be religious, whether that just be, I mean, I know some individuals who are, seem to be hardwired to be monogamous and that's okay. I'm not, not disparaging that. Uh, but this was definitely very interesting. Somebody who grew up in a religious household, who'd been trained all her life that this was the way to do it. And suddenly had this awakening moment of, oh my God, I, I like other things. And um, I mean, I haven't, I can't follow up with the individual, but I assume they're happy now or happier anyway. Well, at least they've explored things, right? And this is kind of what we always say is you should get whatever kinks out of the way, at least like you need to go and explore this because what we've seen is people who will marry very young or follow kind of what society says you should do. Oftentimes, by the time they hit like midlife, they go crazy and they got to go all these things or they cheat on they their end partner. Up cheating, getting divorced, all mm -hmm. these kinds of things because they've repressed their real desires. And so, yeah, we're, we're big fans of, especially when you're young, it's a little easier, but you can still do it when you're older too, is the only way you're ever going to know what it is you really like and what it is you really want is if you go out and try stuff. So go to a sex party, go to a play party, try to do some kinky things, try to do some vanilla things, try to do a free some, a more some, you know, whatever is 
even remotely interesting. Try it once or twice. But do it with integrity, <laughs> always. 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 Yeah. And if it's not for you, great. You know, chalk it up for, hey, this one's not for me. Tried it, been there, nope. But you will most likely, if you experiment enough, you will find a few things that you're like, I never in a million years thought that would be my thing, but it is. But I like it. <laughs> but, I, but I like it. <laughs> and of course, communication is key uh, in any situation like this. Uh, I usually say that bound, when you set boundaries in a relationship, you're not setting limits on yourself. You're, you're creating a space in which you can exist and have that relationship thrive. So you're not looking at the fence, you're looking at the field within that within that fence. And so like with my partner, for example, we have a, we have a basic agreement, I go around the country, I teach classes, uh, well, when it's not pandemic COVID times and, and whatnot. I sometimes am at events, I sometimes meet an individual and my partner is not there. She's back here, or she's just not with me, whatever it might be the case. And I want to play with somebody. I have a, a list of things. These are the kinks that you can do with those individuals. And I don't need you to clear it with me first. Just go ahead, do it, have fun. Tell me about it later when you get back. So that may, means I'm not looking over my shoulder. I'm not going, oh my God, I'm going to, uh, what, what if I do this? She's going to she's gonna be so mad at me if she finds out, uh, please nobody tell anyone. It wouldn't make for a fun scene versus, hey, I would love to play with you. Here's the things I can do. Let's do them. <laughs> And it just makes everybody happy. So everybody gets their needs met. Otherwise, I would be a very lonely presenter going to all these conventions, watching all these people have this <laughs> wonderful time. And I'm saying they're like, well, I wish I could play, <laughs> but I can't, but I can. Yeah, it's very important. And I think also being able to have that, that freedom just makes it that... I don't know, it opens up something within a relationship. When you're able to create that, it means that you, you have the trust, you have that bond with your partner and being able to have some things that you can do, you never feel trapped in the relationship. And that's why, again, it's that place where you get to, to become the better version of yourself because your partner is there to support you, to hold you and to lift you up in, in that exploration. And that's, I think, how every relationship should be. And even if you are in a monogamous relationship, even if it's just about appreciating the beauty of other people like or flirting i mean we human beings it's natural that we want to we're attracted to beautiful women you know that we're attracted to things that are beautiful that we want to flirt this is energy creative energy what matters is what you do with that energy because if your agreement is that you're only playing with the person you're with you can cultivate this energy and then bring it all right back home but if you turn it off then you're going to shut a part of your of yourself off and it's going to be in there in the relationship where little by little you're going to fade away and that's how you create you become miserable yeah i would be miserable i would be bitter i would come home and be like well i didn't get to do anything this weekend like, <laughs> thanks a lot like and, and it probably it's wouldn't last prison. very long yeah no yeah, and the important thing is is that you found what works for the both of you Right. And that's what's important. So you found a way to create safety so that you both feel safe and respected and you both get to do what you want. That's a win win. That's a successful relationship. There's a metric for you. <laughs> I mean, in, in regards to the article itself, I would really just say that 
you know, the article, she learns that she likes that sort of stuff through a negative situation. I would encourage people to find out that you like those things through positive situations. That, that would be my advice. For sure. Yeah. It's never, never fun to find somebody has been not communicating with you. I don't want to say cheating, but not communicating with you. And then that be your entrance to a grander world. It would rather be like, I would like to try this out and maybe find a partner that's supportive of it rather than a life-changing event that's negative. I really wish we were helping this individual out in person, but I have plenty of listener questions for you too. Are you ready for them? Let's go. Yes, we are. All righty. First and foremost, we have Remy in New Jersey. My partner isn't interested in BDSM or kink at all. She's told me that I can go get your kink on and come home and be normal. I appreciate her being open about it and willing to let me explore. The problem is whenever I do, I feel incredibly guilty, like I'm cheating on her or something. How can I overcome these feelings? That's a great question. So I would start out with, so he's got permission from his partner but he's still feeling the guilt. And I think one of the ways to help that is exactly what we were just talking about by creating those boundaries and that structure so that everybody feels totally comfortable with everything that is going on. I think that is a great starting point. That's not necessarily going to help him get over all of it, but I think a great starting point is creating those boundaries and making sure that you've talked about everything so everybody feels safe. Now, sometimes what we see is somebody will say exactly that. Just go and do whatever you need to do. Well, that doesn't create that feeling of safety. So now it's like, oh, well, I don't know. Can I do this? Can I do that? Well, what if I do this? Then I'm going to feel guilty, right? So having that structure can really, really help. I also, the term normal, I kind of cringe because like, your kinks, I mean, it's just who you are is normal. It's just because you have different kinks or different likes does not make you not normal. So it's about accepting who you are fully and not judging yourself. You know, if it was like, if you took it to the level of food and was like, I love oranges and your partner's like, oh, well, I like apples. It doesn't make you less normal because she likes apples and you like oranges. So it's kind of, you need to do the same thing with your sexuality to come to a place of total acceptance with who you are, that you like this particular kink or this turns you on. And what's important is to get a partner who can support you. So maybe also having a discussion about what you know, what you think this will bring to you. So why it's important to you, how it's going to help you be a better person in that relationship and that there's an understanding about that. And that rather than the person that her going like, go do what you want, maybe she can be like, okay, go do it. I'm excited for you. You're going to do this. Just like the example you were talking about with the needles, right? Where you're like, I don't like needles. It's not my thing. But if she says she's going to do it, I'm like, go have fun. Yes. So if you can create a situation where she can be supportive and encouraging, that will go a long way too. Yeah. And and I'll also add, if you've had those discussions and you've mapped out those agreements and you're still feeling a sense of guilt, then you need to look inside yourself and see what kind of programming do you have? Because if your partner's already on board and she's agreed to everything, especially if you've experimented a little and you've had good results, like you've gone out and you've tried a little something, you've come back and she's handled it really well, but you're still feeling guilty, then you really got to look inside and see what kind of programming do you have? What kind of stuff from society or from your parents or what kind of stuff is in there that's creating that? And then you need to address that. 
and I've, I've dealt with a number of individuals who have this. They're in a relationships for a very long time. And again, one partner is not kinky. And so they, they give the other partner the permission to play is what, what I talk about in my, in my poly class. Having a written list, having an understanding of getting carte blanche of just saying you can do whatever you want, go have your fun, come back. That's usually the issue. That's usually what makes you feel guilty because you don't know where that line is. You're feeling like, oh, I, I'm crossing that line. So then you get home and they're like, what'd you do? Oh, I, I, I had fun. I, you know, because you don't, you're, you're worried about saying something. Well, I did this with somebody. <gasps> oh my God. You know, and you're worried about upsetting them, even though you have permission. It so what my usual advice is is similar to what um, to what you both said was sit down figure out what the restrictions are even if she doesn't care mm -hmm. sit down and have that discussion of this is what you're allowed to do you know you're allowed I mean if she I guess if she sits sits down and says okay you can do anything with anyone I mean that's probably not true you probably need to, to nail her down a little bit and be like, okay, so like is, is sexual activity, is that on the table? Can I, can I have someone masturbate me or can I masturbate them? You know, yes or no. Uh, can I do uh, impact play? Can I do needle play, uh, touching play? You know, my, am, am I allowed to only play with men, women, whatever, just sitting down and, and getting those affirmatives of this is what I want and even writing it down is, of course, useful because nothing is worse than when you don't write it down and they, you say it verbally and then somebody says, well, I didn't agree to that. And you're like, uh, yeah, you did. It's, it's right here. <laughs> <laughs> this, is what you, this is what you wrote down. Oh, okay. Well, we need to change that because then that diffuses the whole situation. Instead of two people arguing about what the intent was, it's like, well, there it is, black and white on paper. What do we need to change if you're not happy with that? So yeah, getting that, getting the actual, everything nailed down, written down, I think that'll go a long way to getting over your, gel, uh, your, um, your feelings, your feelings of cheating on somebody, because you're not necessarily. And if you can define that very clearly, then in your brain, at least I, I'm a logic person. So in my brain, I would then look at it and go, okay, I am doing this. And it was clearly spelled out on this document that I am allowed to do this. So Brain, you be quiet, and I'm going to have my fun. <laughs> exactly. So, Remy, I really hope that helps you. If you, Of course, if you have any other questions, feel free to follow up, podcast at kinkinthechain.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our second question comes to us from Rachel in New York. Right now, we're all hurting. COVID picked a great time to rear its ugly head. I just found out that I'm kinky, but no events are happening, and I, it's really hard to meet people right now. I'm really trying, but do you have any advice for kink dating or dating in general in COVID times? I know we're kind of hitting the tail end of this, but uh, meeting people in during a pandemic, uh, aside from, I guess, biohazard suits, any, any, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, that is a tough one. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with uh, how you feel about COVID and your level of concern versus, you know, safety, I guess. Right. So I would, I would just simply tell people, you know, do what you feel comfortable with. In other words, being at the tail end of it, a lot of people have been vaccinated. A lot of people feel very comfortable now that they've been vaccinated, that it's either not an issue for them or not an issue for other people. So, you know, find out where you feel comfortable and then act within that. The second thing I would say is, you know, especially during the, the hardcore lockdowns, really 
the only thing that people could do was get involved with online communities. And so, you know, there were a lot of opportunities. There were people uh, doing um, Zoom dates, you know, where they would get on Zoom and, and have a virtual date. Uh, there are online communities and things where you could start to get to know people before you actually meet them in person. And actually on our podcast, uh, which will be airing very soon, we had spoken with um, the editor of um, Cosmo. Cosmo, that's right. <laughs> and it was about the future of sex. And one of the things that we discussed in that interview was how people are going to date differently now. And one of the big things that came up, so they did a big survey and they surveyed, I forget how many people. It was like thousands of yeah, people. Yeah, a few thousand people. And one of the things that most people said was that they were going to take more time to get to know people virtually before they ever even meet in person, even after COVID is long gone. So that might mean if you meet somebody on a dating app, your very first date might very well be virtual. Hmm. That's interesting. I'll have to look that art, that uh, poll up. That is very interesting. Yeah, yeah I think our, that episode is. Well, it will. It's it's aired by the time this show airs. Yeah. Uh, but the the survey was done through Cosmopolitan and Esquire, and it is called the Future of Sex. Yeah. And they partner with the Kinsey, the Kinsey Institute. Institute yeah. uh, so you can read like it's a fascinating article, like where they get so many things we didn't think and actually for the kink community it seems that COVID helped people connect with their kink more and that people are more willing to explore kinks as a result of that for sure at least rachel for for you there there right now with COVID, there's a tremendous opportunity to get involved in social circles without even leaving your house i'm an introvert by my very nature. So me like getting up and teaching is terrifying for me. Even being on a podcast can be somewhat terrifying for me, but I, I've gotten over it over the years. But one thing I found is that all these people throwing virtual munches, the ability to go and attend these events anywhere in the country from the comfort of your living room, where you can literally just, if you, if you start to get uncomfortable, if you start to get scared you can turn off your camera turn off your mic step away log off the meeting whatever happens to be the case there is a tremendous opportunity i have been attending munches personally all around the country and around the world just because i can and it is so amazing to be able to do that i do kind of feel because i've i've talked to so many newbies like 19 21 year olds who have just getting into kink right now <laughs> And they're like, I so want to go to a club and I so want to experience it all. And I'm like, you can't, not right now. Well, at least not in some areas. Our, our local club here in my area is open, although it's a little strange with the COVID restrictions, but it is what it is. Uh, you, it, I feel for you and I understand that it's really hard, but similar to what they said, I, I mean, I do think getting to know somebody virtually initially is, is just a wonderful thing to do instead of sitting down at that awkward first date where you're like, who's going to pay? And you're like, uh, did I dress right? And is my corsage, if I have one correct? And oh no, oh no, I ordered the asparagus or the, or the, we're at an Italian restaurant, so I better slip in the bathroom and chew some gum <laughs> versus a, an online date where you can sit down, you can literally just have a face-to-face. -face, and if you're like, yeah, this isn't working, click. And they know nothing about you. There's no safety call. There's no, you don't have to do anything. It's very calm, relaxing, and you can get to know somebody. There was actually a service that sprung up during quarantine, although I think it's, I don't know if it's still around. It's called Quarantine Together. And it was a dating service 
four people in quarantine and basically it would ask you, did you stay home today? Yes. And if you say yes, it matches you with somebody. They, you com it connects the two of you for five minutes. You chit chat. If you like each other, you say yes at the end of the date and it gives you each other's contact info and you can continue, you know, it breeds innovation. The, the, the disaster bred some very interesting technologies. So Rachel, I, I feel for you. We're almost to the tail end of this, at least as of this episode, we're getting to the tail end, I hope, right? It's <laughs> hopefully we're almost done with this mess. So hang out for just a little while longer and you'll be able to attend in-person events. But yeah, get to know people, attend munches, talk to organizers. And if you're an introvert like me, uh, there's some other advice that you can find in some of my other episodes. But to to summarize, get to know the organizer beforehand of the event. Talk to them just so you know someone there. Two, show up 10 minutes prior. And the reason for that is because then you show up and everybody shows up around you. And it's not you trying to break into a social group. It's everybody coming and surrounding you. And then they all go, hi, I'm so-and-so. And you get to know them versus if you stroll in late, there's, there's conversations happening. There's social groups that have already formed. And it feels awkward to break into those. So if you do those two things, once everything starts back up again, you'll be great. Obviously, you know, if, if you can get vaccinated, great. You know, if, and if for some reason you choose not to, that, that's your choice. And if you can't get vaccinated, I'm sorry, but, you know, take whatever precautions you need. Get out there. We're almost done with this. Yeah. <laughs> Our final question comes to us from Sam in New Mexico. I'm having an issue with my creativity. I love doing scenes and I love the play. I do, but like an old comedian, I'm running out of material. The scenes are the same with only slight variation. I've tried bringing in other toys, but they're no fun whatsoever. I like my usual. I'm worried that my slave is getting tired of the same thing every time. And I'm scared to ask her because I don't want to appear less dominant. I think this could apply to a variety of things, not just kink, but even just sex play, uh, se sex in general. Like, you know, I'm, I like this. I don't want to change. Have you two had any experience with people like that? Yeah, you know, th this is an interesting one because the master-slave relationship brings sort of a new level uh, to it. But, you know, in a, in, in a regular relationship, it's a little bit easier to be like, hey, uh, are you still liking what we're doing? Is this all going okay? You know, like that, that kind of communication uh, should be happening on a regular basis. So you should be having those conversations. The master-slave thing, I can see how the person may want to appear, may not want to appear less dominant. But in master-slave relationships, communication is just as important, maybe even more important. And so I would strongly suggest that they have that conversation. Now, I know in some master-slave relationships, they have moments where they can sort of step outside those roles and then they can have those conversations and then go back into the role. So if you need to do that, you can do that. If you can do it within your roles, that works too. But what I'm hearing is you're thinking maybe that they're tired of it, but you don't actually know. You're making an assumption. And you know what? There are tons of people in monogamous relationships who are perfectly happy having missionary sex all the time. And they're like, this, this works for me. It's cool, right? Your slave might be the same way. They might absolutely love the same old bag of tricks. In fact, doing a new trick, they might be like, hey, nah, nah, I just want to stick with what I like, right? But the thing is, you don't know because you haven't had that conversation. 
I also see it as an opportunity to to play with the polarity and the dynamic because you can ask your slave questions without not like you won't not be dominant. What if you put it in a way that you force the slave to obey you by giving you an answer? You're still being dominant and you're getting your answer. So maybe become creative in creating a game of like, I order you to tell me three new ways to pleasure you right now, or like, you know, or something like this. I'm just thinking outside the box. I'll I'll have to admit that the the master-slave relationship is definitely not my... um, well what i do uh, so it's just an idea and i will leave it to rob scroll to let us know if he's got like way better ideas but that was just something it doesn't because you're asking doesn't mean you're losing that power dynamic you can turn the question in ways that will actually still make you dominant so something that i try to tell people to build into their relationship contracts is something that they mentioned as well. It's called a timeout. And it's basically where you tell you're, you may be master and slave, but you're going to say, okay, I, we need to talk on a human to human level. We're still individuals. We're still people. We still have bills to pay. If you have kids, you have kids to take care of, you have jobs and the job wouldn't take too kindly of, sorry, I can't come in right now. I'm currently at my master's feet servicing him or whatever happens to be the case. It's not exactly a good answer. So having that time out to be able to say, Hey, I know we've been playing for a long time. This is me just talking to you as a person. Are you enjoying what we're doing? That alone is the important communication part that you're going to have to have. The other way you can do it. If you want to do it in a little more sly way is similar to what they said that would work. Another method I've used is, um, so do you like that? You know, or something like that, or, you know, does that feel good for you? You know, good. Something where you can say it in a dominant way and, and you can kind of get an answer because they'll go, oh, yes, it feels lovely. I'm glad slave or something like that, where you can still act dominant and get, get the answer you're seeking without completely going, hey, um, I know we're in the middle of a scene, but how are you doing? Are you doing great? Because while important in a scene to communicate that sometimes is like it's very jarring when you're you're being all domly and toply and suddenly you're just like yep yep we're back to normal again like oh okay that's that's a, a 180 on the freeway it really feels really kind of ruins the mood just a little bit so you shouldn't feel scared uh, you should you two should sit down and have that discussion because as they said you may be worrying about nothing she may be absolutely well i guess i'm assuming it's a she uh, oh, her. Yes. Ask her. So yes, yeah, so she, I'm assuming that, that she's may even be enjoying it, everything that you're doing. So have that, have that conversation with them, get to know what, if there's any issue at all, because you may just be in your own brain worrying about something that's not even a real thing. So. I want to add to that when it comes to, to play in the bedroom, if one person really enjoys it, it's kind of contagious. So if you're really into this thing, don't judge yourself. Even if it's the same thing, just fully immerse yourself in the experience and enjoy every second of it because your partner will feel it. Exactly. It's one of the, an example that I use personally, I hate impact play. I don't like to do it to people. I've always been told my entire life not to hit people, but I do a lot of impact play. And so people go, well, how on earth do you do that? It's like, well, because when I hit them, I see the, the, the love, the energy, the, the enjoyment coming from that. And it's like, so I, the first swing is not enjoyable for me, like whack, but then suddenly, Oh, they're enjoying it. Okay. Well, I can keep going. Oh yeah. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. 
I may not be getting enjoyment from the actual activity, but I'm getting enjoyment from them. I'm living vicariously through them. So, it, but if, if I had not listened to that part of me, I would have probably not been doing that type of play. And uh, I would, it would have cut me off from a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't, people I wouldn't have got to experience things with. So, well, Sam, I really hope that that answers your question. Just communicate. It's similar to the same thing. I think we say, I think I say it at least three or four times every single episode, communicate, communicate, communicate. That's the only, only thing you can do. And that's going to probably solve that problem for you right then and there. So have a good one. Let us know if we can help in any other way. I would like to say thank you to Celine and Kevin for being on the show today. I greatly appreciate your time. You two have been a joy to talk to. So thank you very, very much. Thanks for having us on. It was a pleasure. And as always, stay kinky, my friends. Check us out on the web, the web. at kinkinthechain.com. Follow us on Twitter at Show. We don't bite unless you ask nice. Have feedback or want to submit a question for a future show? Send your emails to podcast at kinkinthechain.com.